Welcome to the We Are OSA podcast, a new series featuring inspirational stories and perspectives from scientists and engineers improving the world. In this episode, we hear about an effort by OSA members and global student chapters helping to fight COVID-19. We'll hear from several leaders in the community who've developed a chamber to sanitize N95 masks. They produced these chambers with their grassroots organizations and installed them in hospitals in developing countries that needed them most. It was critical here in California right from the start. The hospitals are at their limit as far as ICU beds, and we had obsolete uh, stores of N95 respirators. We were totally unprepared as a country for this. This is Tom Bayer. He's the executive director of the Stanford Photonics Research Center at Stanford University. He's also a former president of the Optical Society. Throughout his career, Tom has always been interested in the societal impact of his work. And he realized that the science of light could play a major role in combating the pandemic. I should take a look at what optics and photonics could do in the COVID-19 pandemic in response. Everything from at-home diagnostic tests to monitoring oxygen saturation symptoms is being made possible through optics and photonics. But these solutions have a long lead time. Scientists are still working on them. And Tom wanted to do something that would help, well, immediately. Well, you know, what I was looking for is what could we do quickly that would have the biggest impact? And it was pretty clear to me that it was the decontamination was urgent. And then I contacted uh, a colleague that I worked with at the Gates Foundation. And she said there was a huge need for in limited resource countries for things that could be built there and maintained there for doing this sort of reuse decontamination. These masks are not terribly expensive. They cost a couple dollars a piece. Sometimes the surgical masks are less than a dollar. But uh, if you're going through four or 500 of these things a day and disposing of them, it is a tremendous burden on these limited resource settings. That was the nudge I needed to begin to work on this, was a, a clear statement of need and a clear focus for what we could do in terms of engineering development. With this nudge, Tom set out to tackle the issue of decontaminating the world's limited supply of N95 masks. I started with colleagues at Stanford, and I said, look, there is a need for engineering design of a, of a system, a UVC system, that would be appropriately designed for the rather unusual geometry of these masks and for the material that they're made up. And you know, we have some real experts in optical design. So they immediately began to d- design the software necessary to model these systems and to model the full-space respirators. So they began to put that together. And then in response to the statement that, that we needed to be able to design a system that could be built with locally sourced components in limited resource settings, I began to do a design that would implement what my Stanford colleagues had decided was the appropriate approach with locally available materials. Working out of his garage at home and using low-cost, globally accessible materials, Tom started to construct a prototype UVC chamber. Actually, he started to construct two. So in this case, it was an office cabinet, and actually it was a trash can. These things are locally could be purchased and could be outfitted with the UVC lamps in a geometry that was suitable for this particular application. He finished the prototypes in a single evening, but at that point, he wasn't sure that they could be easily reproduced in other parts of the world. So he called on a friend. So he called me to say, look, I'm doing these, 
Would you like to join? I said, definitely. This is Anderson Gomez. I am a physics professor at the University Federal of Pernambuco, which is in the northeast of Brazil. He also helps run the OSA student chapter there. His primary research is in laser-based applications. Before COVID, Anderson had been working on ways to combat the spread of the Zika virus. His method involved using nanoparticles to kill the mosquito's larva. But recently, COVID had been occupying his every thought. So before Toncolmia, I was thinking on the diagnosis, but not on mitigating for equipment. I was not thinking about that at the time. The two started collaborating right away. So from the very beginning, he sent me what he was doing. He did it himself. He got a cabinet, the, the ones that we have in the lab. I have one, I have many. And I very, very quickly reproduced and kind of followed on his steps, exactly. After replicating Tom's steps, Anderson had a few of his own ideas for improving the chambers. I said, look, we need to put a timer. He said, yeah, of course, fantastic, do that. People put the mask, close the door, press a button. Five minutes later, it, the, the light is, goes off. That means you can open it and it's ready. So that was a little uh, improvement that makes a big difference when you are doing the, the, the proper field work. Once it was clear that these chambers were easy to reproduce, the next hurdle was how to get as many people on board as possible and how to do that as quickly as possible. Once we got to that threshold, I said, well, look, how are we going to get these out? We do need engineering teams around the world. And that was the big aha moment. The, the Optical Society has about 400 student chapters, about half of them in limited resource settings. And these are the perfect engineering groups to be able to build and install and maintain these systems and operate them in these settings. And so that's when I approached the OSA Foundation and staff, Chad Stark in particular, and Terrence Rooney, to say, hey, look, what if we established a program using the student chapters and funded it so that they could purchase the components? And they were extremely enthusiastic about this. And they sent out a broadcast email to see if there was interest. I received an email from Chad Stark, which he was inviting me to join this initiative by coordinating uh, the student chapters of the OSA in Mexico, Peru, and Chile. This is Eric Rosas. So I immediately answer, of course, I love to do that. And I got involved with, with five student chapters here in Mexico, and one in Chile and one in Peru. During Eric's career, he worked with the National Metrology Institute of Mexico where he was involved with developing measurement standards specifically for ultraviolet radiation. Eric and his student chapters in Mexico, Peru, and Chile immediately applied for a grant to begin making cabinets. But that was just the beginning of the massive response to this call to action from OSA. So we didn't know what the response would be, but it turns out that we got you know, roughly 25 to 30 chapters that we're uh, interested in doing from all over the world. So in exactly the target areas, East and West Africa. My name is um, Ousu Nyakubwatin. I come from Ghana, where the disease was spreading like bushfire in the country. In Asia and in India in particular. I'm Rohan Katti, and uh, I'm a research scholar in the department of EC at SRM Institute of Science and Technology, which is located in Chennai, Tamil Nadu, India. 
And so we had a, a cadre of student chapters very enthusiastic about it as they tend to be about deploying their or using their skills for high impact results. And so it was really quite exciting actually to see, okay, we now have engineering teams in precisely the locations. Now we just have to get them enabled with the right resources and guidance. This initiative was officially up and running. Student chapters all over the world were applying for grants to make UVC chambers. But there was a missing link in this effort. That was the connection between the conceptual use case for these UVC chambers and real-life hospitals. I think, you know, globally, it sort of hit us all like a ton of bricks at the same time. This is Nicole Starr. For the past two and a half years, I've been working mostly in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, with an organization called Lifebox Foundation as a safe surgery fellow. You know, the surgical care system in Ethiopia and in a lot of places that have constrained resources, they're always sort of operating in a resource shortage situation. When COVID hit, personal protective equipment, or PPE, was at the front of Nicole's mind. When I was living in Addis and working with Lifebox, most of our programs in the safe surgery space were around preventing infections after surgery, training staff on appropriate surgical instrument reprocessing and decontamination. Nicole was that missing connection that Tom was looking for. So I've been functioning as the clinical lead for this initiative, and I think that encompasses a few things. So first of all, just an awareness of the hospital workflow and sterile processing or re instrument reprocessing workflow is really vital to understanding how these cabinets might be implemented in a real life scenario. So setting up sort of the materials around how the implementation would work, how the training of staff would work, and then also sort of managing the communications with a lot of hospitals and getting them ready to implement was where I fell into the mix. And so then we put together a do-it-yourself manual, basically, working with other people through a group that was organized out of Stanford called the N95 Decon Group. It was a real team effort. There were many more members of this dream team, but these are the ones you'll hear in this episode. Nicole Starr, Rohan Kati, Owusu Nayarku Boeteng, Eric Rosas, Anderson Gomez, and of course, Tom Bayer. All of them, and many, many more, got on a Zoom call to begin this global effort. We had a Zoom call where uh, Professor Bayer interacted with us and he described us about all the, his experience. It was, it was because of Professor Bayer's words that we had that spark ignited in us. I put together, you know, some brief slides and animated slides that showed how I had constructed the cabinet in my garage. So I think uh, that was the line which inspired us that when Professor Bear, being such a senior person can do it overnight uh, alone, then why can't we do it? But even with a spark ignited, Rohan and the other student chapters had lots of questions about how exactly the chamber worked. Eric gives a pretty good explanation. Depending on the wavelength of the light or the frequency, it can carry more or less energy. So one specific part of this ultraviolet part of the spectrum is the, is the far ultraviolet or UVC. 
and that is highly energetic and it happens that this energy can break some links Yes, well, the ultraviolet light in what's called the the C region, the UVC region, is light that's emitted from about oh, 200 nanometers to 280 nanometers, and this particular light is absorbed by nucleic acid and by the RNA and DNA, which is in living systems, and it disrupts these. It creates dimers. It creates bonds that disrupt the replication process. So it's very effective and it's very quick. It then prevents replication uh, of the virus and it destroys its ability to be infectious and once the uv light is turned on it falls onto the n95 masks so that no, not even a single point is being left out and it actually makes the coronavirus ineffective after the initial excitement of course came the challenges let's just say they weren't exactly able to make it in one night as tom did no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no we were not able to make it in one night it was very difficult for us it took around 3 to 4 months for us i don't have uh, enough words to express uh, the challenges that were uh, uh, we faced well the first problem was finding the lamp because you know it seemed that everybody had the same idea in the the suppliers it wasn't easy most of the items we requested were not available So that delayed us. So, uh, getting things done during the lockdown, it was really a difficult experience. We had uh, to also follow safety rules in the same time. And they had another problem because that was right at the, the starting of the, the pandemic a few months ago. So they had to have uh, permission to go to the lab. So following all the safety uh, rules, even while building the decontamination chamber, also. That was just the beginning of the challenges. Then they actually had to build the cabinets. That was again one particular uh, challenge that we had. Then we had to get the cabinet with the same dimension. And once the cabinet dimension was uh, fixed, then we had to see to it that the UV lamps are placed in such a way that it is going to illuminate the N95 lamps from all the sides. But they had the help of advisors like Tom, Anderson, Nicole, and Eric, and they had each other. We have a WhatsApp group where all the students in all these seven student chapters they every day are interchanging information. So I think bringing all the chapters who are involved in this activity on one particular platform that was a great thing that OSA has done. So with that helped us a lot interacting with the other student members. Besides posting about the challenges they were going through, they also posted about their victories. Guys taking pictures, sitting down inside the chamber, putting the wire and everything. And about their own ideas to improve upon the chambers. The student chapters have their own subculture, and this culture is 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 wonderful to see. They're really bright students, really innovative. Each one of the chapters I think has, you know, put their own sort of touch on the cabinets that they've built. We added some additional features. So one feature was that we added a timer and a buzzer. That was a pretty cool innovation, I thought. We also got a switch so that users switch the 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 lights on and off. And they also added a small window but just to have uh, an idea that 
if there is any specific problem with the masks or with the lamps. They have made very useful improvements. So once we were satisfied with the results, then we just intimated uh, OSA that uh, everything is done from our end and we are ready to deliver the chambers to the hospitals. This is arguably the most important part of this team's whole project, making sure real-life hospitals get to actually use the things that OSA members have spent so much time building. Once again, Nicole Starr came through some remarkable visuals and videos to illustrate that whole process of implementation. It was also important to give these short training courses to the people who was going to be using the cabinets. We went there with our team and their team also met us. We made a presentation, we tested the cabinet, we showed them how to operate it, then the do's and the don'ts, and they received it happily. We have had some instances where the chamber was rapidly uptaken, the, the clinical staff and the reprocessing staff were happy to accept this as a solution. These hospitals celebrated the chamber's arrival. They offered hope and good news in the middle of one of the largest pandemics in human history. They've had ceremonies for installation, and we have pictures of them doing ribbon cuttings on the, their bows wrapped around the chambers, and they're being installed in the hospitals. So once we delivered them to the hospitals, the hospital staff was very happy to see that they have something, a different kind of facility wherein they can work on uh, reusing the resources which were being wasted. You can decontaminate the masks in about five minutes. You can do 40 masks at a time. We have now about, well, about 50 of these uh, units uh, around the world that have been built and deployed in various areas. The first reports of the people from the hospital is that this really has helped and uh, that was amazing. The student chapters involved in the UVC Chamber Initiative continue to come together over Zoom and share their challenges and successes. We had a meeting last week with everybody from Kenya, Mexico, other places in Africa. And one lady, I think from Kenya, she, they delivered to a hospital and they, they are recycling 600 masks a day and there is another hospital that's connected to this first hospital that's like one hour drive, and they bring their mask there as well. So it really is contributing in a significant way due to the efforts of these student chapters to alleviating the shortage and you know reducing the cost burden associated with protecting healthcare workers in these limited resource settings. You have to think global, act local. That's exactly what happened. We are thinking global because the problem is global. And each chapter acted locally, and, and that becomes global. The COVID-19 pandemic is still wreaking havoc around the world. It's clear that the need for these UVC chambers will be ongoing. But beyond UVC chambers, optics and photonics have the capability to really change the way we think about some of our biggest global issues. I think one lesson from this, a real lesson that we cannot uh, let it go, is that uh, we don't have to wait for the problems to start having the solutions. We have to have, we have, to have this uh, thinking of, you know, blue sky thinking, whatever you want to call, because the, things are going to happen again. I have to say, I didn't 
really think about photonics at all before this pandemic and before meeting Tom and, and our other colleagues at OSA and the student chapters was not something that occurred to me as you know a potential response to a healthcare crisis like this. So it's definitely changed the way I view photonics. So optics photonics has tremendous potential for impact. And I, I think that the OSA has a tremendous role to play going forward in global health and environmental issues. Those who worked on this initiative feel that they received even more from this experience than they gave. We are happy to be part of OSA's effort to help fight COVID-19. We feel very proud and privileged that we are a part of this community and that we have contributed a little thing to uh, such a great initiative by OSA. So it is really a proud moment for all of us. They can look at it as a challenge and knowing that science can help. I learn from different cultures as well. I learn from different perspectives. The most rewarding thing was working with this team of people. With everything that's going on in the world, there are some positive aspects. When you can join together with others to, to address common problems and to use your skills in a way that can help people. Thanks for listening to the We Are OSA podcast. Special thanks to the voices on this episode for sharing their stories with us. Visit osa.org forward slash weareosa over the next few months to hear other episodes and read insightful articles.